there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today we have two interview guests. The first is Robin Fraser, the head coach of the surging Colorado Rapids. Then I'm joined by Andrea Yock, the president of the new community-owned Minnesota women's soccer team of the USL. We've just launched my new writing site on Substack, which you can do paid or free subscriptions to at grantwall.substack.com. My first story on Jesse Marsh just went up, so check that out. Now, here's my interview with Robin Fraser. Our guest now is Colorado Rapids coach Robin Fraser. The Rapids have the fourth most points in MLS and third most points per game in the league. As a player, Fraser was a two-time MLS Defender of the Year and last year was named one of the 25 greatest players in MLS history. Robin, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Grant, my pleasure. It's been a long time, so it's nice to catch up again. I remember doing interviews with you back in the 90s, my friend, uh, with the LA Galaxy and coming out. And you may not remember this, but I do because I, I think it was like 98 or something. And I came out and we did our interview. You guys, I think, were training in the parking lot of the Rose Bowl like in a grassy area. Is, is that true? Is my memory failing me? That is 100% correct. We would actually go to training after UCLA games where they would park cars on that grassy area. And we would have to walk around and remove broken bottles and bottle tops and you know chicken bones and things like that before we started training. That's, uh, that's where MLS was way back when. <laughs> I try and remember that when I look at the $60 million training facilities in some places around the league and, and yes. everyone thankfully is in a much better situation these days, but uh, it's, it's good to remember where, where we all came from. Um, congrats Without a doubt, on right? You think about where we were 25 years ago, we've all come a long way. The league is, when I think about how many soccer-specific stadiums exist now, after 10 years in the league, so I retired after 10 years in the league, I had played in one, which was Columbus. And then I happened to play in Pizza Hut Park before it was really finished. And we had to take golf carts from the makeshift lockers or locker rooms. So we go, we go from those days where there was one soccer-specific stadium. That stadium has now been outdated. And every other stadium in the league now is, is new. So times have changed. It's pretty incredible. I think it's fair to say that your Colorado Rapids are exceeding a lot of people's expectations this year in MLS. Maybe not yours. You'll have to tell me on that. What have been the keys in your mind to how this team has come together and performed well so far? Well, I think when I first got here, which is almost a two-year anniversary now, um, the team had done poorly in the beginning of the year and under Connor Casey as an interim, they had started to get some results and were actually turning around a bit. But I came in and spoke to the assistant coaches immediately and said, these are my plans. These are my thoughts, but I don't want to inundate the team with a lot because they're actually starting to do okay and get some results. And the feedback I got from the coaches was they're, they're looking for something. They're, they're starving for information and so really the first day of training, we dove into the way that we want to play. And uh, we had four days and then went and played a game against uh, Red Bulls, a game that we were fortunate to win two to zero. And we, even in that game, we saw 
little tiny snippets of what we've worked on throughout the week. And just over time, the team has embraced everything that's been asked of them. And the, the coordination and the understanding between them has grown to the point where we've become a decent team. And really the basis of that is we have a lot of good players who are very unselfish. And they just do what is asked of them. And they've seen results and now they've, they've developed this identity where they know what we want to do offensively, what we want to do defensively. And they've really embraced it. And as a result, um, we've been able to get some decent results. The Rapids don't spend a lot of money on players, yet here you are. And Sam Stasekel had a, a good story in The Athletic recently about how the Rapids have put this team together. What's the best way to describe that approach from your perspective and the role that you've had in that with the other members of the technical staff? Well, I think uh, Pork Smith has done a really good job. And when he took charge of the team some years back, before I got here, he had a plan as to how he was going to hopefully start to turn the team over. And you have players who have long-term contracts. You have to figure out ways to ride those out. And um, so he's done a good job of being able to find uh, good MLS players who became available for whatever reason and started to put together a group of players that were good players that, as I said, for whatever reason, became available. And as he started bringing good MLS players, he was trying to uh, unload players and unload existing contracts and all of that took time. But in the meantime, I think he did a really good job of putting together a combination of some experienced MLS veterans and bringing along some youth players through the academy system. And so I came two years ago, kind of in the middle of that changeover happening. And we had some good players and some guys have moved on. Sam Vines obviously really grew in that time period. And now he's gone to Belgium and uh, we're starting to have interest in our players overseas, which certainly speaks to their development. Uh, in terms of what I've been able to add is probably just uh, my outlook in the game and how I think the game should look. And we try to play with a certain amount of structure. I think people think of when they hear structure, they think soccer is this free-flowing game. It can't be all structured. Well, for me, I'm a huge Pep Guardiola fan and, Man City is very structured in what they do, and their positional discipline is, is absolutely fantastic. And because of their discipline, they create certain responses in the opponents, and that's the whole purpose of the structure, is to try to unbalance teams and give yourself advantages in certain parts of the field. And this team has done a really, really good job of embracing what's been asked of them. And... Uh, I think for a lot of us that did grow up in structured play, we were all just good players and did our thing. And over time, we got into more and more structure and realized how that fit in. I think the same thing has happened here. We have some talented players who have probably all been in varying levels of structure in their history. And now we have pretty specific roles and pretty specific um, requirements for each role. And the players have really embraced that. And as a result... I think all the players are getting better. The team has gotten better. And it's been a, a really fun process taking this group. It's a really fun group because, as I said, they're so unselfish. And, and how would you describe that process of sort of developing your coaching philosophy over the years? How did that 
How did that come together? And I know sometimes people assume, oh, this guy played as a central defender his entire career. He's going to be all about defense as a coach. And, and that's not always a correct assumption. Absolutely not. I mean, for me, the game is a big chess match. And that's what I like about it. It's the tactics. It's the X's and the O's. And what can you do to create advantages against another team? And defensively, what can you do to negate some of what other teams do? And for me, that's, that's the most fun. I've always had a pretty specific outlook on the game that I think had snippets of structure, but over time it's been able to put it all together in a way that makes sense. And you know, a lot of the time that I spent with Greg, Greg and I have been talking about, so Greg Vanny and I have been talking about soccer since, gosh, probably the second year, maybe the first year at a galaxy where he was 21, I was 29. <laughs> we ended up living pretty close to each other. So we would ride to training to and, uh, to and from every day. And we just talk soccer all the time. We played next to each other for five years and we've just remained very, very close since. And I feel that through our experiences, we had similar thoughts, uh, not exactly the same, but similar and bounce a lot of ideas off each other. And when we got back together in Toronto some years ago, um, we really together were able to come up with uh, ways that we think are really effective about attacking and defending. And um, I've certainly learned a lot from being with Greg. And uh, I think that we share similar ideas and we're, we're different enough that we're different, but we're simil similar enough that a lot of what we do is, is uh, is quite similar, though not exactly the same. And it's been a really fun process to go through that with Greg and to watch both of us come up with what we think now the final product should look like. And then obviously being able to implement it together and then now doing it separately. We still talk all the time and we still talk tactics. <laughs> I mean, obviously you and, and Vanny had a ton of success in Toronto. You've coached together for a long time. Uh, you recently beat his Galaxy team. He's had a big impact on the Galaxy as, as you've had on the Rapids. Is it true that in the 90s when you and Vanny were still playing together that you coached like a girls soccer team together? Yeah, so uh, we had become very close to uh, a woman who was the president of the Santa Anita Soccer Club, Joanne Kelly. And... Um, her youngest daughter was nine years old, who was a good player. And we took on coaching the Santa Anita under 11 girls team. And I feel like we did a lot of it together. There was a time, it was right at the end of 2000, I had a number of injuries and Greg was with the national team. So I actually spent more time with them probably over that time period. But for maybe a year prior to that, we were doing it uh, together. And again, it was honing your ideas, how you think the game should look. And uh, it was not a great team at all. But by the end, we I remember one game in particular where they really put together this unbelievable game, moving the ball side to side, finding you know uh, numerical advantages and attacking with speed. And at the end of that game, we just kind of sat back like, oh my God, I can't believe that this team just did that. And again, it was just validating a lot of the ideas that we were thinking and it didn't really matter what the level or the venue was it was about trying to experiment and see if what we thought was right a lot of it turned out to be very good well i hope the the girls who were 11 years old and under on that team i guess they're in their 30s now understand that two of the best coaches in mls 
today, coach them back in the day. Cause I think that's an amazing story. Um, yeah, and, it was really fun. And you and, and Vanny were on the same staff at Chivas USA. Um, mm-hmm. at, at one point you were the head coach. He was the assistant later on. It reversed. Was that weird for you guys to, to have that reversal of roles? I don't think so. Um, we are close enough and easygoing enough and supportive enough of each other that it was a pretty easy transition. Uh, going from Greg being the assistant to the head coach, though, you see some differences. You see, uh, and he was really, really involved at Chivas as well. But when the buck stops with you, then you see a little more intensity, a little more bite, a little more um, than I had seen before. But not that it was ever an issue. And certainly I'm always a supporter of Greg as he's always a supporter of me. And whatever the roles were, we're just there to help each other. So after your head coaching tenure at Chivas USA, you spent a lot of years as an assistant coach in MLS with some good teams. Did you ever wonder if you were going to get another chance to be a head coach at some point? I honestly didn't. Um, after Chivas, I was so happy to be an assistant for a couple of years. And <laughs> that, whole, that whole experience scarred me for a bit. Um, and then once I got back with Toronto and you know, again, ideas started to grow and flourish and start thinking about, well, maybe I would do this a little bit differently or that a little bit differently. Uh, the The desire and the real yearning came back to be a head coach. And um, I, I, naively or not, I never really thought that it wouldn't happen again. But certainly you go through a number of interviews, it doesn't happen. And then you start to think, is this in the car to me? And uh, I never really lost faith, but I certainly started to, to have that desire more and more after having been with Toronto for almost five years. We've talked a lot in this league about what to me is is a pretty frankly shameful record of hiring American blackhead coaches. And we've said that there still has not been a U.S. born blackhead coach in MLS history, which I think is a bit unfair to you. You're an American citizen who happened to be born in Jamaica. But What's your opinion of how the league has approached all of this over the years and in in the present day now? Uh, I think there have been efforts made. I think uh, certain hiring requirements, you have to interview a minority. I certainly understand um, how some of that has gone and why that's been the case. And as a result, like I said, I had many interviews. Uh, Not sure how many of them were actually legitimate interviews, but at the end of the day, I used to say I would rather be the black guy who's getting an interview, whether it's legit or not, than the black guy who's not getting an interview. So for me, it was about an opportunity to continue to... The interview process for me is um, an interesting one because how you present yourself is certainly a big part of it and how you present your ideas is a big part of it. And there were times when I didn't think interviews were really serious or legit, but for me, it was an opportunity to work on delivering my thoughts and delivering um, how I would like to play and to present myself. And so for me, I didn't look at it as uh, this is a complete waste of time. I looked at it, this is an opportunity to work on my presentation. And over the years, it's, I think it's gotten better and better as my vision for the game has gotten clearer and clearer. 
So I've certainly been uh, someone who has benefited from this just in terms of being granted interviews. Uh, what, I, what I do think, and I sincerely believe this, is that what needs to happen is that people who are in the hiring, uh, the seats of those who are doing the hiring, they just need to really look beyond what is safe and comfortable and just expand searches. And you may find that there's a diamond in the rough somewhere that may not be exactly what you thought when you started the process. But I think you have to, the more open-minded you are, the more you're willing to actually look and truthfully look at candidates. Um, I think a wider search will yield more minorities because I think there are a lot of good coaches around the country who are, some are minorities, some are not. But I think if people expand their searches, then I think it will be a beneficial thing. Am I right? And I thought I re read at one point a, a few years ago that you had started telling people doing the interviews that you wanted to be looked at as a real candidate. Did you ever get to a point where you were straight up with interviewers about stuff no. like that? No, I never, I never said that. I certainly in my own mind knew that uh, suspected some were not legitimate interviews. In fact, the last one I did before Colorado, I thought was an illegitimate interview. And there were some things I found out prior to that. I didn't care. I wanted to. I felt like my vision for the game had really um, tightened and, and was much clearer than it had been in years past. And I wanted to do the interview because it gave me the opportunity to present it. And I wanted to see how it came out. Uh, that's how I looked at it. I... I didn't take any of these really as sour grapes. I was happy to be in a position where I could present my thoughts and my ideas. I was never as brash as coming out and saying that, but uh, certainly some I thought were legit and some I didn't. And it didn't matter to me. I wanted to have the opportunity to get in front of somebody and present to them what I thought my vision was. And if they didn't want it, then so be it. But I knew it was making me better every time I had the opportunity to do it. What are you hoping to learn about your team in the weeks ahead? Uh, it's a nonstop process, uh, meaning you could probably ask me that question every single week. And what, what is happening? I mean, there are a couple of different things. Uh, what's been happening. And I think I've seen this so many times now with teams that are rising. I saw it with Real Salt Lake. I saw it with Toronto. That you start to get some results. You start to become a decent team. But can you take the jump to become an elite team? And there are certain benchmark games throughout each season that give you an idea if you're making progress. And the... The progress that teams make, I've never seen a team start at the bottom and go straight to the top. I've seen where you take five steps forward, two steps back, another five steps forward, two steps back. And it's been, I've been through it enough times now that I've seen it. I feel like we've done some of that. And every week it's, uh, it's a different challenge. And how do we respond? Last week, it was a three-game week, uh, two very tough road games, and then home against a rival. Um, and it was a big testing week for us. And at the end of the day, at the last game of the week, we didn't play particularly well, but we were resilient and we found ways to hang in there and then produce some moments of quality and won the game. So in the weeks ahead, it's can we sustain this level of concentration? Because at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest things for us, meaning we know our roles, we know the things we have to do. Can we concentrate 
as the games get tougher and tougher uh, and against uh, more and more difficult opponents, as you get closer to the playoffs, things just become more heightened. And it's really, can we continue to grow and can we continue to improve as a team? Those are, those are the biggest things I'm looking for. Toronto FC, where you spent a lot of years as an assistant coach, has an interim coach right now. Is that a job you would be interested in? I mean, I have a contract here and this is where my future is set to be for the next couple of years. Um, you know, Toronto is in a tough situation. They've obviously had a, a tough year so far and we'll see how the interim coach does. But certainly, um, you know, my, my focus right now is this team. And it's no secret that I have a great affinity for Toronto, the city, and Toronto, TFC, the organization. They were absolutely fantastic to me. And I really, really enjoyed my time there. But as I said, right now, my focus is, is this team. And this gets a little bit into the question I had asked you before this, which was just kind of what you're looking to learn from your team in the coming weeks. But you know this, you've experienced this. The playoffs in MLS are a bit of a different beast than the regular season. And I think one of the questions, we see the standings right now, and there's Colorado with the third best points per game in the league. Can you make a deep playoff run? Can you put yourself in a position to, who knows, win this thing? Well, that goes back to the question you asked me, right? And for me, uh, it goes back to the answer I gave, which is we are constantly learning about ourselves and what we are learning is are we ready for that have we have we improved do we have enough confidence do we have enough discipline uh when we got into the playoffs last year and we went and played um minnesota we had a number of chances early in the game we didn't take them well and they were able to expose us a bit and there was a point in the second half we may have been down two nil at the time i think we ended three nil we still had a number of chances in the second half, but there was a point in the second half, late in the second half, where I really wasn't upset anymore. I was just like, we're just not ready. And I've seen it before. I've seen it with Real Salt Lake. I saw it with Toronto. Uh, teams that are in their ascendancy, they're, they're rising. They're going from being a not great team to being a great team. But that is the process that you get into the playoffs and sometimes you get in and you're ready and your team is completely ready and maybe you've made that jump early. But as I looked at that game in the middle of the second half, I just said, we're just not quite ready yet. We have a lot of young players. They don't have a lot of playoff experience. As you said, it's a different animal. Uh, we had just played in Minnesota about three weeks prior to that, I think. And we had lost two to one on an own goal where we certainly played well and had a number of good chances. We go back to the exact same venue. We start off the same, created a number of chances. But I think the, I think the occasion ended up being a little bit big for us. Minnesota had a few more experienced players maybe than we did. And I just felt like we weren't ready. But I came out of it very, very encouraged, thinking next year, is going to be better. And again, this is just based on my, my history and the experience of the teams I've been with. So here we find ourselves in the spot where we are better than last year. Uh, we're certainly not perfect. Uh, we're certainly not saying we're the best team in the league, but we're better than last year, which is the trajectory that we want it to be on. So as we approach the playoffs, and we're still not in it, obviously, the first goal is to get into the playoffs. And the second goal is can, in this time period, 
can we continue to build our confidence and our understanding and our discipline and our focus? Because these are the things that are going to be really tested if we get to the playoffs. Robin Fraser's Colorado Rapids have the fourth best record in MLS. Robin, congratulations on everything. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Grant, thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time. It's really good to see you and chat with you. Now, here's my interview with Andrea Yock. Our guest now is Andrea Yock. She's the president and co-founder of Minnesota Women's Soccer, the first community-owned women's soccer team in the United States, which this week is announcing a community investment campaign that will allow anyone and everyone to own part of the club. That starts on Tuesday, August 31st at 8 a.m. Central Time. It's a grassroots women's soccer team that is women-led and starts play in May 2022 as part of the new women's league in the USL. Andrea, congratulations on all of this, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Grant. It's really awesome to be on. So really cool news this week. <laughs> Let's kind of start at the beginning. How did Minnesota okay. women's soccer get started? Uh, really, we like to say it was a pandemic project. Um, there were a lot of us locked in, missing sports, and uh, a couple people met and um, had this idea about why are we sitting here waiting for something to happen? Maybe we can just do it ourselves. And so we had a big meeting six feet apart outdoors in a park uh, a little over a year ago. And from that group came a committed group of, of co-founders that we were just like, we're going to do this. So over the winter, we started interviewing all the leagues in the U.S., trying to find um, which fit would work for us and who was okay with the fact that uh, we were brand new and that we weren't already operating a men's team and so that they were willing to take the leap with this group of just normal community people and soccer parents and business people. And so we found the USLW um, and I had worked with Court Jeske in the past on the International Champions Cup down in Nashville. And so we called court. We just said, hey, we hear there is a women's league coming into the USL and then got connected with the women's side. And after a couple of meetings, we just realized that that was going to be the best place for us. And so we signed up with the USL and um, got awarded the franchise in April. And then the league was announced in June. And then we announced shortly after the league was announced. And so you were you guys are, are something totally unique in American soccer, right? Yes. We, um, first of all, we are independent. We are community. We're literally bar owners. I am a freelance marketing person in sports and entertainment. We have accountants. So everybody is doing very normal business stuff. There's not a billionaire in the group. And we also are going to have this team be community owned. So what we realize is that there's a tremendous amount of interest in supporting women's sports and supporting women in business and that this was an opportunity for everybody to participate. We also know there's a lot of frustration with sports fans who feel like they don't get to be a part of what's happening. Um, and up in Minnesota, obviously we have the model of the Green Bay Packers next door and they have, you know, they have community owners and people are very, very proud Packers owners. And we were like, we can do that. And so we started doing our homework and um, created a platform on WeFunder, which has done this for other teams on the men's side in the past and are ready to go. And the interest has been overwhelming. So that's really fun. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I I mean, how is this going to work on Tuesday? So, you know, what 
what are you seeking? How does someone get involved? What what did they get for their part ownership stake? So the real so the easiest way for people to participate is if you go to mnwomenssoccer.com, that will take you to the WeFunder page and you go in there and you pick the level that you want to invest. So the minimum investment is $100 and that gets you four shares. So shares are $25 a share. And then you can give us as much money above that as you want to. Um, the list of benefits is on there, but you'll get, you know, the cool scarf, uh, season tickets, meet and greets, you know, the, the fun stuff. But the most important thing you get as a community owner is you will vote on our team name. So we, we don't have a name yet. So we will do everybody who buys a share will get to vote on the team name. And then once we have a name, we will move into the branding and you will vote on the branding. And then um, once we get through those two phases, the community owners will have two representatives on our board. So we will have a board, a total of seven people, five founders and then two community board representatives. And they will have an equal vote with me and everybody else when we vote on things like where we're going to play, final decisions on head coaches. Um, so we, it's truly going to be a community team. Wow. Okay, very cool. Um, and in terms of how this team is going to come together in terms of getting players, coaches, all that stuff, a place to play, what do you know now? How, you know, what remains to be determined? How is that set to go. So we have a job description for the head coach and that's probably that's our next step after we get through the fundraising portion and we will um, we're going to do a national search and we believe that a head coach will want to come here we, we are committed to the best medical and the best training and and really having this be equal with what the men get. And so once we have our head coach in place, then we can start the process of players, um, where we're going to play. In my past experience, sometimes the soccer side and the business side um, don't match up about where people play. And so we don't want to make a business decision without a head coach being there also helping with a soccer decision. So that will be our next big step. And then once we have the head coach in place, more of the soccer decisions will come. But I am the first person to say that I, I don't want to make soccer decisions. I'm a business marketing person. I fill stadiums. That's what I'm really good at is getting a lot of attention. I don't want to be the person that has to decide, you know, which players we recruit. So we want to bring in the best female coach that we can. And we're very committed to finding a female that just needs some experience and she'll be ready to go. And, um, then we go from there. And what you're doing is unique in the United States, but you were mentioning before we started recording, there are a couple other clubs like this in the women's game elsewhere in the world. Yeah, the one that we're most familiar with is Leeds FC in England. Um, they are a community-owned team and not around for that long, um, but we've been watching what they've been doing. And then on the men's side, we honestly, we, we have modeled a lot of it after Detroit City FC. Um, they have a very successful ownership platform. So we went through, you know, what they had done on WeFunder. And to be honest, they've been great um, about helping answer questions for us and Chattanooga. Um, so it's there is a path that we are following from the men's side, but it'll be the first time it's done on the women's side. And we really hope that we will create a model that other communities will say, well, wait, we can do that, right? There's there's a lot of markets in the United States. And I think that barrier that people feel about owning a sports team is everybody thinks they have to be rich. And what we want to prove is that 
you don't have to be rich, right? You just have to have a group of people that all want the same thing. And I think that can happen. And how much are you looking to raise in this community investment? Do you have specific goals? How are you approaching that? Yep. So we will put 40,000 shares up for sale on Tuesday. And um, that will bring us enough revenue that for operating expenses for the first few years, plus sponsorship and ticket sales, that will cover the first couple of years of operating. So what we want to do is have enough money to market the team properly, take care of the players, right? Not have them riding school buses, you know, to to, to things like that. And um, in fact, we're announcing today in just a little bit, our first um, partner is coming on board, which is Twin Cities Orthopedic, which is one of the best medical providers in the U.S. Um, A lot of their staff works for the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, and they just happen to be based here in Minnesota. So we're really going to approach this from if we need more money because we want to do something right, then we're just going to go raise more money. So instead of cutting budgets or not paying our head coach a competitive salary, then I'm going to go knock on more doors and ask businesses to support us. Maybe we'll do another round of shares. But to start with, it's 40,000 shares. And you are the only team in the league, correct, that is an sort of independent that you're not connected to a men's team. Is that accurate? Correct. So everybody else that's in the league right now is playing on one of the levels at USL. So um, we are the only ones that have actually, frankly, never operated a soccer team before. Um, So I I have worked in soccer and so I've been on the business side. But yeah, this is a this is a big brand new adventure. So I know a lot of people during the pandemic binge watch shows. We decided to create a soccer team. So (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, like, is it something that the USL Women's League, the people at the USL, are they open to more teams like yours yep. is set up in the future? Yeah, they, they have been really excited about this. Um, they are really supportive. Honestly, when we first did this, and then of course you bring the attorneys into the conversations, and the attorneys are like, whoa, wait a second, what, community ownership? Like, we need one person to write one big check. And we're like, well, that's not going to happen. But um, with a proven marketing track record and the ability to bring a lot of attention to this, we convinced them that, look, we can do this and we're going to get it done. So we, we forced the attorneys to write new language. Um, so there's a whole new franchise agreement that includes community ownership that I don't think the USL had before. And they've been great. They, they've just said, look, we're going to get this done. We're going to figure out how to do this. And if that means changing you know, contracts, that's what we're going to do. And they've also introduced us to like women in soccer and all that other, all the stuff on the business side that they can help, you know, with their experience bring, they are doing. So it's, it's been a great partnership so far. I mean, we've seen, especially with MLS, you, you kind of need to be a billionaire to, <laughs> to start a team, especially these days. Yep. Um, and and the idea of community ownership is something that we've seen a little bit, as you say, in, in American soccer, but a lot more outside the United States. And my sense is, is that you, you think it's certainly possible for community-owned teams to exist in the same place where you have billionaires and MLS. I, we, we do. So the, one of the things is this is a pre-professional league. So we are not dealing with million-dollar salaries or multi-million-dollar salaries. So that makes it a little bit easier. But 
the there's been so much um, emphasis on women's sports, especially in the last year, right? We saw the debacle with the NCAA, and um, a lot there's been a lot of outcry about, okay, this has got to stop. And the people like you who are huge supporters of women's sports, especially women's soccers, have been few and far between, right? But now people are realizing, hold on. And then especially women's soccer, like women's soccer is great. And people are now understanding that obviously the U.S. women's national team really helps. But um, I worked on the women's ICC and, you know, those crowds just keep getting bigger and bigger and the awareness of the players keeps getting bigger and bigger. So putting a team forward where one fans who have been saying, oh, it's terrible. The women are being treated so badly. Okay, well, here's your chance to contribute and change it. Right. So don't just sit there on Twitter complaining you know, go to our website, give us some money and and we'll help. But also we're creating the future generations of soccer players and not just soccer players, but for me, business people, right? I've been in sports my entire career, frequently as the only female, right? For a long time, the only female. And so I am really excited about also having opportunities for the players and people that are working with us to learn skills that they need to do whatever they want to when they're done playing or to intern for us and then go move on to another team. And that's also something that I think people can get behind, right? Is, is okay, yes, we need to have more opportunities for women and this is a path for them. And are there any other things sort of in the future, like where do you want to go with this? Things that we haven't addressed so far. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty open to all sorts of ideas. Um, you know, we're in the Twin Cities, which is great. It's a huge market. There's a lot going on. Uh, the U.S. women are coming in at the end of October. And so we want to be able to do exhibition matches, right? We want to be the first team maybe to play at our minor league baseball stadium. We want to be flexible, And I think because we are community owned um, and because we don't have, you know, we're not MLS, we're, we're not under these big rules, we can be very nimble. And when I worked in the NASL, we were very nimble, right? Because the NASL didn't have a lot of rules. Um, And that was really fun. And so that's a a little bit of what we want to apply to this team is I'm sure you see that, you know, there are a lot of fans that miss the days in Blaine and, you know, the, the being right there with the players and the excitement and knowing everybody with the team. And that is something that I want to replicate, right? I I used to walk around the stadium holding people's babies because so they could enjoy their beer. And I loved it. It was great. I was happy to, you know, give somebody a break. We want to make people feel welcome and make some new friends and come back again and then bring more people and and make this very grassroots. And and we know it can be done. We know the demand is there and we just have to deliver. And where can our listeners find Minnesota Women's Soccer and you on social media? So uh, Minnesota Women's Soccer, our website is mnwomensoccer.com. And right now, all of our social media handles are at MNWOSO, so M-N-W-O-S-O, until we have a team name, and then I'm sure we'll change our handles. Um, And then I am at A-Y-O-C-H on Twitter and um, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of them. So the only thing we don't have quite yet is TikTok. Okay. And we 
we were planning on launching TikTok. I don't know if you've ever been to the Minnesota State Fair, but that starts tomorrow. And it's a huge, it's the biggest fair in the country. And we were going to launch a TikTok channel at the fair. And then the community shares, I was like, no, let's just stick to the community shares. And then we'll worry about TikTok when the 22 year olds are here playing soccer. And then the players can start a TikTok channel. They can own it. They can run it. It'll be great. (laughs) So trying to stay away. I'm just trying to stay away from that one for right now. Makes makes me old, but whatever. Andrea Yak is the president and co-founder of Minnesota Women's Soccer, the first community-owned women's soccer team in the United States. This week, they're announcing a community investment campaign that will allow anyone to own part of the club. That starts on Tuesday, August 31st at 8 a.m. Central Time. Andrea, good luck with everything. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Grant. It's really nice to chat with you and really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Robin Fraser and Andrea Yock, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.